0: Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus.
1: Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of Hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of Hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations.
0: Well, today's a big day. We have a birthday today and it's none of yours. Maybe there's one of you. But it is our collective birthday to the day today. Do you know how old our church is? 144 years. Come on, 144 years today. That's awesome. John, bring the cake in. Come on. No, we don't have a cake. Sorry. But 144 years, is that not amazing? 144 years we've been worshiping as a congregation in this place. I wonder what the first worship service was like 144 years ago. I've got some pictures, and these weren't pictures of the first worship service, okay, there weren't cameras, but we've got this, and that's one of the buildings we met at that's still in Old Town. You can see that as you pass uh, over there on Remington, I believe. It's changed a little bit, ownership over the years. And then we moved into this building, and it looked like this a while back, starting in the 60s. And then we did some, um, a facelift on the front, and it started to look like that. That's what you know today but it started this way, way back. Um, This was one of the first buildings that they built. I wonder what church was like that day. First worship service. Can you sense the excitement there must have been that day? I mean, here's a brand new church in this new town of the Fort Collins. And people were gathering together. You know what I'm guessing on the very first worship service ever? I'm guessing people weren't bored. I bet on Saturday night, people were having arguments with their spouse about what they should wear. And there was genuine excitement. They're like, this is the first worship gathering. What do we, we want to put on our best tomorrow morning. I bet people were early that day, early to church. It happened once in our history, just that day. Can you believe it? I wonder, can you imagine the excitement? They were thinking, I wonder what hymns we're gonna sing today. I wonder what message is gonna be proclaimed. What's the thing we should start with with the very first sermon of First Baptist Church of Fort Collins, Colorado? Can you imagine what that worship service was like? Very first one. And then they had another worship service the next Sunday. And then they had another worship service the next Sunday. And then the next Sunday, they had another worship service. In fact, I did a little math because I got a whole degree in math and I don't get to use it very often. So, we as a church have had 7,488 worship services together. 7,000. That's amazing. Here's my guess about human nature, because I know it's true for me and it might be true for you. I wonder what it was like showing up to worship on, I don't know, worship service 347. Might have been different than number one. Maybe. Because here's what I know about human nature. We, We tend to grow a little bit cold once we start off fiery red hot. Yes, we're a new church! but we have seasons, don't we? I wonder if there were seasons in our history where worship became rote, routine. Maybe even there were moments as a church that our church went through the motions in worship. It was just another worship service. Nobody cared on Saturday night what was gonna happen. People showed up late. You know, it's true for us, and it's also true for the people of Malachi. In fact, they had walked through a very similar season. They had grown cold after being fiery hot. And this is the story of God's people from the very beginning. I mean, think about the whole story leading up to Malachi is the cycle of being red hot for God and then forgetting about him and growing cold and distant and going through the motions. Remember, God called Abraham. Way back in Genesis, he chose a people, and he said, I'm gonna set my love and affection on you. I will be your God, let's make this covenant, and you will be my people. And they started off strong. But then Abraham had kids, and his kids had kids, and generation after generation, they failed to remember God. And eventually, they turned into a nation that was in Egypt, in slavery. And God did a good thing again. Fiery Red Hot, he rescues them from Egypt. He splits the Red Sea. People land on the other side. Can you imagine that day? It was better than the first worship service at Life Point Church. They landed on the other side of the Red Sea and they're going, yeah, our God is amazing. And then just a few months later, they lost faith. Oh, we can't go into the promised land. Our God's not big enough to do that. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But then God does it again. He actually takes the people and he puts them into the promised land and they're going, yeah, this is awesome. And they they were given kings and the kings were awesome at first. And then they failed over and over and they forgot God and they built idols and they started worshiping other gods and they failed and then God eventually, they go into exile because of the Babylonians. And then as we come to Malachi, the people of God, hundreds of years later, they're coming back into the promised land and they're rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall. It's the best book. It's like, come on, we're on fire for God. We're starting over again. But then we get to Malachi and a 100 years have passed. Not quite 144, but 100 and the people grew cold. They were distant from God. They were going through the motions of worship at the brand new temple. And so God does what he does over and over. He sent a prophet. And Malachi, like most of the other prophets, does what a prophet does. He calls the people out. He calls out their sin, and he calls them to come back to a restored relationship with God. That's Malachi. That's where we land. The people had grown cold. I wonder if you've ever felt that personally in your life. Have you ever had a season like that? Maybe you came to faith and somebody was starting to disciple you and you were on fire for God. You remembered that season. You could run through a brick wall for God. But then another Sunday came and another Sunday came and Life got busy, and you had to start paying bills, and you had a career, and kind of going through the motions. Maybe you felt that way at church. Maybe you felt that way today. Maybe you've had songs pass over your lips with your head thinking about your groceries, that you gotta get done this afternoon. We're here, but we're going through the motions of life with God. Malachi wants to call us back to genuine worship in our text today. So I want you to see it with me as we look at this text together. Have your Bibles open. This is Malachi, and we're starting in verse six, and I'm asking the question, what was really the problem back then? What happens when you grow cold towards God? Verse six, God asks the rhetorical question to the people, and this is spoken through Malachi, like a mouthpiece of God, and they have this rhetorical dialogue back and forth. God speaks, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? Where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? or reverence, or awe? This is the main question of this section. God's asking, look, you honor your father, that's natural. You honor your masters. Look, if you're an employee, you honor your boss. You have these uh, presidential leaders and leaders of world states, and you honor them when they show up to town. You honor the concert goers. Taylor Swift comes into town and hundreds of thousands of people come in and honoring her. And God's saying, where's mine? If you honor people whose status is here, how much more am I, the God of the universe, the one who created you, do honor? That's what God's bringing to the table. Where's my honor? The people had failed to honor God rightly they were going through the motions and so he he fills it in with all the the problems they actually have in this text in verse 7 what's the issue he says this in verse 7 how have you done this how have you despised my name by offering polluted food upon the altar But you say, how have you polluted, how have we polluted it? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Look what they're doing. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? You see what the people were doing? My mom had a, a phrase like this about relationships. She said, you're not giving me your best slice of cake. You're just giving me the crumbs. And that was happening to God. You see, in the Old Testament, I know it's weird, but they had this Old Testament sacrificial system and they had rituals and festivals and sacrifices that you could make for atonement of sin. They had the rules, but people over time started figuring out, how can I check the religious box with the least amount of sacrifice to me? So you go look at your herd and you've got hundreds of animals and instead of bringing the black animals Angus beef. I mean, wagyu. We're talking great cut. For God, you find the sickly runt, who frankly was kind of a liability anyways. I mean, was gonna die, and you drag it in. It's got a broken leg. It's sick. It's bleeding. And you go, great God, here, your offering or farmers for a food offering. They go look into the crops and they find that sweet corn that's just juicy and yellow. And then they pick one up off the ground. It's rotten with bugs and they bring that to God. It checks the box, right? I mean, I brought a sacrifice. I gave an animal, I brought the corn. I did my religious duty. I checked the box going through the motions while I get get to keep the very best for me. The people were bringing the crumbs while they ate the best pieces of cake. And you call this worship. God gives an illustration. He says, would you offer that to a governor? You see it in the text. You think that'll work? Verse eight, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? It's like if um, the Pope called you, as could happen, and he said, I'd like to bring some world leaders to your home for dinner. It's tomorrow night, and so you race home to prepare. Can you imagine doing this? You, you pull up in the fridge, you got the Pope coming and some world leaders, and you grab that old Kung Pao chicken. You open the lid and you give it, as you do, the sniff test. And it's, it's close. (laughs) And so you slap it on a paper plate and you slide that onto the table and you, you go watch a movie while you wait for the Pope to arrive. You think he's honored? You think the Pope, you've garnered favor with the Pope? And God is saying this. He's saying this. You bring those blemished animals, you wouldn't even do that to your governor. How could you do it to me, the God of the universe? Don't bring your Kung Pao chicken. Bring your best. Bring your best. He says this, and God's about to throw down here, so get ready. Verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you he's speaking to the priests so yeah we got some religious leaders who are allowing this to happen but we've also got the people of god who are bringing these bad sacrifices and he says oh that there were one among you hope wes craig dale would one of these guys do this shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain he's saying close church if you're gonna bring this to worship, don't bother opening the doors to the temple. Shut it down, because I am not pleased with your sacrifice and worship. God's throwing down. He's not happy about how they've responded in worship. Why, why? What's the problem for God with bringing blemished animals? Here's why this is so sinful. So he calls it evil. You despise my name. You know, the priests are going, no, well, hold on. Look, I'm a priest. I went to seminary. I'm working hard here. I don't despise your name. And God is throwing down. He's saying, no, 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 no. What you're doing is despising me. You're dragging my name and reputation through the mud. Why? Verse 11, why is this such a problem? For from the rising sun to its setting, he's saying as far as you can see in the ancient Near East that way where the sun rises, and as far as you can see that way where the sun sets, all that place and all those people everywhere, what's gonna happen? My name will be great among the nations. That's why this sin is so evil. His greatness, his greatness is so great. The greatness of God compared to the greatness of having the Pope over for dinner is like comparing the greatness of the burning sun to a candlelight. And this is what you bring. That's why it's such a big problem. That's why God throws down. He's saying what you're doing is evil because I'm so great. Don't bring your Kung Pao chicken to me. My name will be great, yet you despise it. Oh, it gets worse. In verse 13, the people start saying this at the 317th and 17th worship service at First Baptist Church. Oh, what a weariness this is. Church again. There was a double overtime game last night. (laughs) And I'm tired. Oh, drag my feet there. I gotta put on these shoes. I never wear these shoes. These are not comfortable shoes. Uh, what a weariness this is to approach God and worship Him. Notice what kind of attitude their actions display. See what that does? You sniff the Kung Pao chicken and you bring that, that's an action, but what does that reveal about the nature of their hearts over time? What kind of attitude does it reveal? What's your attitude towards God? What would your actions, your visible outward behaviors communicate to the world about your value of God in your heart? You see, this was the primary point of the sacrificial system, there's several, but one of them is this. What's the point of this whole Old Testament sacrificial system? It's God showing the connection between your actions, and your attitudes, your outward behaviors linked to your inward joys. Do you see it? See what happens, the connection between actions and attitudes and why the sacrificial system does this. Look, if you actually bring your best black Angus cattle, I was at the Larimer County fair and some of you are four H I'm not that, but I can appreciate it. And I'm going around and I'm looking at the cattle and they've got ribbons on them and I'm watching high schoolers combing the hair of a sheep, not a Barbie, a sheep. And they, I mean, they're taking kids, There was like hammocks in there and water and fans and they're playing nice music and they've got pedicures for a sheep. And and this is what God says. He says, you bring your best to me. Can you imagine how emotionally taxing that would be for that 4-H student? Look, I have worked hard. In fact, generations of genetic transformation and trying to breed the right animal. This is my very best. If I kill this sheep, I'm losing out. Do you see what happens when they start dragging that prize-winning blue ribbon sheep to God? What's going on in their heart? Oh man, I'm about to give up my very best. I'm about to give up my very best. Do you know what that starts to say and do to your heart? But God, you're worth it. And I trust you. I trust you. I can bring my best. You see, for them in the Old Testament, this is like a financial liability to give up your best. This is putting your money where your mouth is. Their livelihood was at stake when you bring the best crop and the the best cattle. And God was using a rhythm an action, a behavior to produce a kind of attitude that says, God, I will not rely on myself. I will depend on you. You are the source of my sustenance. You are the provider of everything that I need. You are the one who's worthy so I can bring my best and trust you for the rest. That's worship. Do you see the relationship between actions and attitudes? It's built into the DNA of the sacrificial system. A famous scholar and a wonderful theologian, Westmore, once said, True sacrifice turns the heart, doesn't it? True sacrifice, when you bring the blue ribbon sheep and give that to God, it turns the heart. There's a connection between our actions and our attitude. You see, the sacrificial system, it was not about animals, as if God needed animals. It was like, and I love how Wes puts this, I love this picture, he says, the sacrificial system was like training wheels for the hearts of the people to turn and trust God. I love that, training wheels. Training wheels to trust him. In giving God their best, they moved from self-reliance to a deepening dependence on God. God wasn't after their gifts, he was after their hearts in this system. And that's why he's so dishonored by us just going through the motions. God's saying, I'm not looking for you to check the religious box. I want your heart. I want your heart in worship. Do your actions towards God match your attitude towards him? Let me put it a different way. What do your actions towards God communicate about your attitude toward him? Even to a watching world. Let's think about some of these. Maybe if we stick with worship in its most narrow definition, gathered worship as the church approaching God. How do the ways that you gather in worship communicate the unmatched worth? and value of God. You dragging your feet to church and telling people as you groan on the way, Oh, when can this get over? What does that communicate about who God is? He's not worth my time. I got better things to do than be with God. More important things more important things than spending time with him. It's not just how we gather here to worship as, as the songs run over your lips and your heart's far from when you're doing your grocery list, as you reluctantly give and you're like, ah, nah, I don't really enjoy this. God's after our hearts in those actions. Do they align with your attitude? but it's not just how we gather and worship as the church. It's all of life worship. What does your life and the behavior of your life communicate about the worth and value of God? Does the way you show up to the office and work a career demonstrate the matchless worth of God? Does the way you parent your kids or love your grandkids is it an overflow of how God designed family and gave you the opportunity? Does the, way, does the way you honor your father and mother demonstrate that God is worthy of all praise? Or does it diminish him? Does it make him look flippant, light, and unworthy? Does the way you care for an aging parent communicate the value of God? Does your social media behavior Communicate an attitude that shows the worth and value of God. Does your relationship status do it? Do you show God is worthy of your trust and reliance in your singleness or in your dating behavior or in your marriage? You get get a marriage. God said, I designed marriage to be husbands. I'm speaking to you. You're going to love your wife like Christ loved the church. That means death. Lay your life down. Husbands, do you show the magnificence and worth of God in the way you lay down your life for your wife? Or do you keep putting your preferences first? Every moment of our life is an opportunity to show the unmatched value and worth of God. Do your actions match your attitude towards him? God, through Malachi, calls out the people, and he says, you're going through the motions, you're checking off the religious boxes, but you're not in it from the heart. You're not in it from the heart. I said the sacrificial system had a a few main purposes. The first was to show the connection between our attitudes and our actions, but the second was this, and this is an important one, especially in Malachi, the whole sacrificial system was designed to prepare the people of God to both recognize and receive Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice. Malachi, the prophet, predicted that there's gonna be this span of silence for hundreds of years. And after Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, there's nothing. That intertestamental period is quiet, real quiet. And then out of nowhere, hundreds of years later, this guy comes on the scene, and he's a little weird. He hasn't washed his hair in a while. He's eaten bugs. But he says this in John 1, 29. John the Baptist, predicted by Malachi, shows up, and he says, you see that guy? Behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God didn't bring for you Kung Pao chicken leftovers. God himself demonstrated true sacrifice when he gave his very best, his son. Spotless, perfect in every way and sacrificed for you. His blood shed in your place that your sins may be atoned for the sacrifice of all sacrifices. I mean, this is a massive moment in the history of the people of God. Jesus, the perfect lamb means the sacrificial system is gone. Goodbye. Aren't you glad 4 H members? You didn't have to bring your sheep in here and put it up here. You didn't. That's because of Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Look what he does in First 1 Peter 1.18. I believe we've got the cross reference for you. First 1 Peter 1.18. Look what happens because of this sacrifice, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways, those going through the motions kind of ways of your forefathers, not with perishable things such as your silver or gold as a sacrifice, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the great sacrifice, Jesus. So we're done, right? We don't have to do worship anymore. Phew. But then the New Testament comes along and Paul's gotta write things like this in Romans 12:1. He says, what's worship now? No more goats and 4-H club and lambs. No, he ups the ante. He's saying, I don't just want your goats. I want your whole life. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in light of what he's done, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. You don't show up carrying the sheep anymore. You walk into the temple and you lay yourself down and you say, look, my life is yours, God. I'm a living sacrifice. I don't have to shed my blood. I don't have to die. Jesus did that for me, but my life is now yours. Take it. All of it. Every little aspect, your job, your relationships, your finances, your calendar, all of it. And I give it to you as a living sacrifice. Look how much This phrase sacrifice and worship shows up in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1, offer your whole lives as a living sacrifice. Philippians 4, 14 through 18, offer your money, your finances to God for the work of Jesus as a Pleasing sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15. Offer a sacrifice of praise. That means open your lips and sing songs so that the kids around you know God is worthy. He's worthy. Hebrews 13, 16, the sacrifice of doing good to others. Your good works and generosity are a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Romans 15, 16, even sharing the good news of the gospel means other people can then become themselves a living sacrifice. And more and more people then lay down their lives and show the unmatched worth of a holy God because they say, my life, it's not worth anything compared to the new life I have in Christ, I'll give it all, I'll give it all. So, goats and bulls, yeah, that's done. But the sacrifice of worship, it's even harder. Your whole life in response. So you're showing up to church and you're struggling to not yawn. Well, what do you do? Okay, Zach, I wanna give my whole life. I I wanna have my heart aligned with my actions. I don't wanna just go through the motions. I don't wanna be a hypocrite in church. What do I do? What do I do? Worship always flows from the same, same pattern that we see in Malachi. Worship is always a response to what God did first not the other way around we don't start with our behaviors of worship and then start to see what God has done God initiates before you ever did anything worthy to him he loved you and our worship then is a response don't you see this in the book of Malachi notice where Malachi starts there's illustrate this way verses one through five we heard from Dale last week Malachi does not begin with the punch in the mouth of you're not worshiping genuinely. He doesn't start there. Malachi starts with what? I have loved you that love was unconditional. I chose you before you were even formed. I have set my affection on you, whether you do good or bad, I have loved you. And I sent my son to die in your place. Then, then sacrifice becomes a response, an overflow for what God has already done. If you're struggling to yawn through church, and you want your attitude to match your behaviors, we need to be reminded and catch a glimpse of the greatness of God and his love for us. That's the only remedy. There's no behavioral modification that's gonna to try to get your heart into the right place. It's, I've gotta see him as lovely, beautiful, tremendous, and then, oh, then, I'm not dragging the goat to church anymore. I'm sprinting. Yes, yes, yes. He's worthy. He's worthy of my adoration and praise. As we, as we close, I want to invite the worship team up in just a moment here. And I want to close with this illustration and call us to do two things. As a people of God, Malachi calls us to do two things. He calls us to repentance, and remembrance, repentance and remembrance. In the late 1990s, way back then, there was a church in Whitford, England, and the pastor noticed that their worship had sort of gone flat. He could sense it. They were a church that was going through the motions. He could see the yawns He understood, man, there's something missing here. We're going through the motions. We're checking off the religious boxes of showing up to church. So he did something kind of brave and radical. He marched upstairs and he turned off the sound system. (gasps) He just shut it off. And he said, church, for a season, we're not gonna have any instruments. We're not gonna have any music. We are simply going to sing a cappella when we come to worship. And he charged the church, he said, the reason we're here is not to watch something. He said, I want you coming ready to contribute. We're here to worship. So show up ready, warm up those vocal cords and come together and hear the people of God just with their voices responding in worship to all God's done. He wanted to strip the stuff away all the pageantry and the outside and say, what's the point of the reason we've gathered here? And that pastor, he stripped everything away. They did this and the, the worship leader had to w- lead worship, a cappella, over and over for weeks. And eventually they brought back the instruments, but something had shifted in them. And so that worship leader wanted to write a song to describe the experience they had had as a church. And so he wrote a song and he called it the heart of worship. And that worship leader was Matt Redman. And I wanna call us, church, to strip some stuff away now in repentance and then come back to remember, why are we here? What are you doing here? Let's remember the point here is that we have this magnificent God who gave us his son. How then shall we respond if not but in genuine worship and sacrifice? So here's what I wanna do, I wanna give you a moment, go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads, and as the band just plays this melody, I wanna invite us to prayerfully and thoughtfully repent. This repentance is a admitting, Lord, I've fallen short, and I'm gonna turn away from that way. And I wanna invite us to repent in any ways that we've just been going through the motions and checking off religious boxes in our lives, give us time to do that now. So take some moments to pray a prayer of repentance. Father, we confess to you how we've fallen short. Uh, We confess to you ways, Lord, that we've gone through the motions, we've ignored your majesty and greatness, and we thought we could just check a box. Bring us back, Lord, in true repentance to true sacrifice that would turn our hearts back towards you. Hear our cries for mercy now. And according to your son Jesus, forgive us our sins, help us respond now with genuine hearts. Grateful for all that you've done in worship and adoration of you. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.
1: That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.